I'm going to spend the next few weeks talking about the greatest week in history and, and basically uh, the life of Jesus in the last week on earth. Uh, hope that you can uh, just be with us on the journey. An unforgettable week. How many of you have had unforgivable weeks in your life? Raise your hand if you had unforgivable weeks. Uh, men, you order that day you got married, you should start that one. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we have a lot of things, things that our children accomplish or do, things uh, having our children born, having that marriage, and having things happen. They become unforgettable. I want to talk about this one unforgettable week, but also was the greatest week in history. And today I want to talk to you about fans, followers, and foes. Luke chapter 19. We're going to go through and just talk about some things and, and see some things together. And hopefully share some things with you that will ignite your passion for Christ. And realize how He really is our God. What a God and Savior He's been. And he is the friend of sinners, which means he's a friend of everyone in this room because we all start the same place. So I I want you to get this. Uh, The last week in the life of Jesus reveals him in his greatest moments of purpose and passion. He was on a mission and every action had purpose. You need to know that everything that happens has a purpose in the life of Christ. There's nothing accidental or incidental. Everything is moving toward God's plan. And so everything has a specific meaning and purpose. We're going to look at those things. So in doing that, uh, I want to talk to you about the, the first thing is uh, looking at verse uh, 28. After telling this story, now, what story is he told? The one right above it. And he basically told that story. If you go to verse 11, it says, The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem... He told them a story to correct, watch this, to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. They had misunderstood what was going on. And he's saying, guys, I need to correct you now before it goes too far. The kingdom is not coming today. The kingdom is coming, but not today. Because they were wanting a king to come and deliver them from Roman oppression. So he said, no, not today. And he tells a story about there's a king who comes. He comes and leaves his servants in charge. And he's going to come back. And what he was trying to say is, I'm fixing to leave you guys in charge till I come back. And accomplish some things for the kingdom. So he said, after telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem. Walking ahead of his disciples. And then he told the disciples, guys, I want you to go find a colt that's tied up that's never been ridden. He's never been a beast of burden. That was important. And he said, you're going to go take him. And, and if someone asks you, hey, why are you taking my coat? You say, because Jesus has need of him. And sure enough, that's what happened. They went and found the coat tied up and nobody had ridden. And, and they, they uh, were untying it. And the guy said, hey, why are you taking my coat? He said, because Jesus has need of him. He said, okay, that's great. Because that was a custom in that day. They weren't taking his coat. They weren't doing something wrong. They, they were uh, following a custom. If a, if a dignitary, a government official, or a great teacher came to town, a lot of times they would lend out their donkey for them to ride and, and to let them have and use while they were there. So this was not uncommon. But it was uncommon in this regard. They got a, a donkey that had never been ridden, and uh, he never, uh, Jesus would be the first thing he would really carry. And then the disciples took their robes and put them over the back of the donkey. And, and that was because they were showing respect for who he was. And it says they helped him on the donkey. Now, you say, was he that frail and weak? No, Jesus was not frail and weak. He was very strong. He was a carpenter. 
He could walk miles and miles and miles a day. He was not weak. He carried his cross up a hill, and he endured the lashing of a whip 39 times. He was not a weak person. He was very strong. What they did was show respect, and a duty of respecting him was, we're going we're we're to help you because we're honoring you. And so they helped him get on this, and they began to uh, move toward uh, the outskirts of Jerusalem. In the process... In verse 36, as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. Now, understand what has happened. Jesus has done some incredible things. He's, he's, he, Zacchaeus has come to know him as Savior. Uh, he's healed a blind man. He's healed the crippled. He's, the word about him, he's, there was never a man like Jesus in method, uh, message, and manner. The guy was incredible. And the people said, we think he's something special. We think he could be from God. And if he says he's God, and we think he's the coming king. He's the one the prophets have told about hundreds of years before. He's the one Isaiah talked about, Jeremiah talked about, Ezekiel talked about, Zechariah talked about. Matter of fact, Zechariah in 9.9 prophesied that, that the king would ride on a colt through Jerusalem. And these are, these are Jewish people that live with the Bible. Man, they knew the Old Testament. And they see Jesus, the one who's been doing all these miracles, amazing things, and taught like no other, and he's riding a donkey, and they're going, this is it, prophecy fulfilled, here comes the king, here comes the king, here comes the king, and they're going, ah, here comes the king, and they, they see that he's got, he's sitting on robes, he already has a following of his disciples, and they're going, man, that's his entourage, and so they're going, and they begin to, they begin to shout out, and they're excited because Here's what's happening. The first thing we get on Sunday, they were celebrating the king in a crowd of fans, followers, and foes. Man, they were celebrating. They were having a big time. And they began to lay their robes down and their palm branches down and just because they were recognizing his status. And they were saying, We're going to be your subjects, we're going to be in your kingdom. Because we're Jews. Important to know that. We're going to be in your kingdom because we're Jews. Man. Sons of Abraham. And as he's approaching Jerusalem, they're laying their robes down. They're shouting, Hosanna. Matthew said they're shouting, Hosanna, which means save me. Hosanna, Hosanna, save me, save me, save me. Save me from what? They were saying, save us from the Roman oppression. You see, this was the week of the beginning of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and they were celebrating that they were delivered from the oppression of Egypt by Moses. And they became a whole new people with a new identity. They were given the promised land. And they were, that's what they were celebrating the Passover. And they've been under Roman oppression for about 100 years. And they were now saying, save us from Rome. Save us from Caesar. Save us from this pagan oppression. Save us. Save us. The problem is they were looking for a political king. A national king. That fed their national pride. That, that followed their philosophy of government. They weren't looking for a savior. They didn't want to be saved from their sin. They wanted a social savior, a philosophical savior, a political savior, an economic savior, pretty much like the people in the 21st century today. 
Most people aren't looking for a savior from their sin. They just want somebody to save them out of their mess. And the truth is, the mess is a result of your sin. They're celebrating. They're having a big time. They're look, let's look at it. And blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord! Exclamation point. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. We are excited. We're fired up. We're pumped up because the king is coming. And they're screaming, and the, and, and the crowd begins to grow as people get caught up in it. You ever been caught up in a crowd that you didn't know what the crowd was about till almost it was too late? I have. Uh, we, were, we were vacationing, and, and we were on the beach, and uh, we'd been out there, and it'd been great just kind of laying in the sun sometimes, laying in the shade, taking a nap, resting, relaxing. And finally, we, we, we're kind of ready to go back in, get ready for dinner. But we hear this noise, we hear a band or some kind of music, man, and it is, it is, they are cranking it up. And it's, they're having, you can tell they're having fun. And, and so we begin to kind of pack our stuff up and move toward the noise. And so we're moving toward the noise and the, and the music, and, you, and as you get closer, you hear that it's some kind of celebration, and they're real excited, and they seem to be, seem to be having a good time. It's only 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you go, man, that must be a pretty, pretty, pretty lively place. And, and sure enough, as you, as you break off the beach, and on the, on the side of the road, you look across the other side of the road, and, and you see this place, and it's, and it's about now over a half a block of people that have gathered around on the corner, down by the road, down by the sidewalk, and they're all over the place. You still can't see what's happening, but it's obvious they're having a good time. Uh, by the noise. And so I thought, well, well, just go check it out and see, because that's kind of interesting, you know. So, so, and I'm a people person. I like to watch people. So let's go, let's go see what's going on. So, so I'm holding Charlene's hand. We cross the street, and we go and kind of kind of, get through the crowd. And, and it seemed to be a little different crowd from what I'm used to. <laughs> and, and then I realized there's a there's this huge banner hanging from their deck that says, every queen deserves a palace. And the thing was, they were almost all men. And some of them were dressed pretty weird, might I add. And I'm thinking, man, what are we in here? And I had, Charlene, whatever you do, don't let go of my hand. <laughs> so we got to get out of here. These are not our people. And, uh, and so, and of course, we've got to get, of course, by then, because of my curiosity, I'm at the front of the line here with these people, and they're, and they're kind of talking at me and saying stuff, and I'm going, get got to go. Anyway, sometimes we get in a crowd, we go, man, how'd I get here? Well, this is what happened here. People had come to get ready for the Passover, and they all of a sudden heard the commotion, heard the excitement, and curiosity brought some of them, and, and, and the excitement brought some of them, and they're going, hey, we're part of the crowd, yeah, let's do this. Which brings me to the point of fans, followers, and foes. In this crowd, there were certainly followers. They had started with Jesus back here. His disciples were with him. We know he had the 70 that he sent out to witness and share. We know that he had accumulated disciples through Mary Magdalene and, and through others and the woman called an adulterer. He had cre- the people were following him because of who he really was. They knew him to be the Messiah, the God in the flesh. They did not understand everything yet. Even the disciples didn't get it all yet. They didn't, have, they didn't see the big picture, but they understood, we're going to follow this guy because he ain't been wrong yet. And, and, and he's told us things we've never heard, so we're going we're to hang with him. We believe he is who he says he is. 
Uh, and uh, 11 out of 12 believed that. They really did. Now, they're following, and, and they know why they're there. Uh, and they're not, they don't understand the cross yet, but they kind of know we're there because he told us to be here, and we're here. That's what followers do. See, followers are preoccupied with the person they're following. Their focus is on the one they're following. That's why they're followers. You see, the disciples really were focused on Jesus. They say, man, we're going to go. If he says we're going to go to Jerusalem, we're going to go to Jerusalem. If we're going we're gonna to go down to Main Street, we're going to go down to Main Street. He tells me to go get that, that donkey. I'm going to go get that donkey because I'm following him. I'm sure someone said, don't you think that's kind of a strange request? No, because he told me to go do it. I'm going to do it. That's why we do what we do. Not because other people coerce us or manipulate us. We do what we do for the kingdom because we're following Christ. I don't ever want you to do anything where you're not following Christ. Uh, don't, don't, you, know, I, yeah, you, know, you don't need to accumulate stuff and, and, and busyness for the kingdom. You follow Christ for the kingdom. And so uh, they're following and they are in tune with who he is. They got him in their focus, and, and that's it. And that's what followers are. Now, followers sometimes struggle. As a matter of fact, these followers, they had moments of, of fear and, and anxiety. You know what Peter did? Peter denied him, and he, he choked under pressure. And, and at the cross, only one disciple was standing there because they all kind of choked under pressure except for one. But they still had him as focal point. And they were his followers. And the truth is, some, of us, some in this room are better followers than others of Christ. But if you've trusted Christ, had that moment of surrender, that defining moment of salvation, you're a follower. And he's your focus. But there's also the fans. The fans. Now, fans are kind of interesting. Because the truth is, everybody in this room is a fan of something. And someone. Fans are people that have an appreciation for, a respect for, even an admiration of people in, in life. You know, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of several, I'm a fan of, uh, I'm a fan of casting crowns. Okay? So I like listening on the radio, uh, I spend money for CD, I, I mean, I'm a fan, okay? Uh, I have great appreciation for their ability and talent. But, guys, I'm not a follower because I don't, I don't intimately know that. I don't have a relationship with them. I'm just a really good fan. I'm a fan of Alabama. They're going to do a reunion concert. And my daughter and, and her husband, are going, Shana, we're going to go to the concert at the Fox Theater. You're saying, is a preacher really going to listen to country music? Yes, he does. He, he really does. Uh, I'm a fan of Alabama, man. I, I love their songs. And no, they did, not, they did not do Sweet Home Alabama. That's Leonard Skinner. All right? But here's what I want you to know. Uh, I, I just can I, you know, I, I appreciate their music and their talent, and, and I'll, I'll have their music and their albums and uh, their CDs, and I'll get all that stuff. I mean, I, that's cool. I, I, I do that, but I don't have a relationship with them. I can tell you about them. I've made it to a restaurant in Pigeon Forge. I don't have a relationship with them. I can tell you I like them. I tell you I think they're great. They're talented. And, and uh, I tell you some of the great things they've done for their own hometowns. And I, I, but, but that's, you know, I, I don't have a relationship with them. I'm just a fan. Here's the thing about fans. You know why I'm a fan of Alabama? Because I like their music. I, I like their songs. I, I like a lot of their songs. Uh, 
So you know why, why I'm a fan? They've met my expectations. The minute people do not meet your expectations, you cease to be a fan. That's how life is. When our team is winning, we are a fan. When they're winning, we'll go to the store and pay 100 bucks for a shirt or a jersey or a hat because we're a fan. Let them start losing. I ain't going to pay $10 for that jersey. That team's losing. Ah, oh, I ain't going to do that. Why? Because they're not meeting our expectations. When Jesus started through Jerusalem, the people had an expectation that this guy is going to be the guy that's going to kick, kick over Rome, take over Caesar's place, and, and man, we're going to have our own kingdom. We're going to be back the way we should be, and, and he's going to do all this for us today. Now, since he wasn't riding a stallion, which would be a, a, a kind of one of power and war, he was riding a donkey, which is a symbol of humility, and peace. And he's going, I'm, coming not, I'm not coming to fight with anybody today. Now, he had a fight planned, but it wasn't with Rome. He had a fight planned with the devil come Friday. And they were going to go to war Thursday night and Friday. It's going to be the rest of the match of the, of the ages. But he didn't come to fight Rome. He come to fight the person who caused Rome to be what it was. And so, uh, but they were expecting him to just kind of take over, and he, he wasn't going to do that, and he never indicated that. And, and it's ironic, on this day, they're all saying, save us, save us, save us. In a matter of days, that same group will cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Why? He didn't meet their expectations. You see, fans, the reason we're fans is because it's all about us. Followers is all about the person we're following. And then there are the foes. Watch this. Verse 39, but, that conjunction is pretty important, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Man, they're saying, you, they're saying you're, you're the, the, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Tell them to shut up. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. He says, I am who they say I am. I'm just not doing it today. I've come to be a suffering servant today. But I'm going to be a king. I'm going to be who I am. But I'm not going to tell them to be quiet. Because they're not wrong about what they're saying. They're just wrong about when. So I'm not going to tell them to be quiet. Well, that ticked them off, quite honestly. Because they're kind of this spiritual authority. And they're going, I can't believe you're not doing that. Well, who do you think you are? We don't like you. We never have liked you. And we're going, we just, we don't like you. And so, uh, so they'll probably, they're going to confer, have a business meeting. We're going to vote him out of the community, you know. But that's just, you know, how we do that. So here we go. He said, look, this has happened. See, what I've learned is people can by curiosity and by emotion, will sometimes get around Jesus, but never really get to know him. I had a conversation with an atheist one time I was talking to and, and discovered they were an atheist, and, and we were just talking, and I was sharing some things, asking some questions, and, and, and they said, well, you know, I go to church, and that got my attention. 
I'm going, excuse me? Yeah, I go to church almost every Sunday. I said, shoot, you're doing better than most Christians. That's pretty good. I, I, I'm kind of still, okay, so tell me, tell me, uh, I got to ask. You don't believe there's a God? No, don't believe there's a God. But you go to church. Yeah. I said, I'm intrigued because if I didn't believe there's a God, I'd be at the golf course or lay at the tennis court on Sunday. I'm just telling you. I wouldn't be in church. And so they said, well, I said, tell, tell me why you go to church. And they said, because I like the feeling. And they told me what church, the church is a good church I'm going to, which means I think they probably get saved one day, actually, get on the Word. But, but they said, I like the feeling, man. I just, you know, feels good. That's the way fans are. They like the feeling, but there's more to life than feeling. And there's more to your spiritual life than feeling, and there's more to your spiritual life than just being appreciative or acknowledging someone. You got to let that person into your life. You got to become a follower. And the crisis probably in the American church today is we have perhaps more fans and followers in our congregations. The ideal is you quit being a fan and start being a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, the, the, the crown that Jesus would wear before the week was over would be a crown of thorns. And to be crucified under a sign that was written by Romans, this is the king of the Jews. Unforgettable week. But let me tell you what else happened. Jesus weeps. And, and let me go to this. Jesus weeps. Look at this. But he came closer to Jerusalem. He saw the city ahead and he began to weep. Now, when we say weep, we're going, well, he kind of like, <sighs> no. The word here, weep, means he began to squall. Don't know what squalling is? That's when somebody's just like, ah! <laughs> They're crying. They can't get their breath. This man has just heard all this praise and, and acclamations, and, and it should have been one of the great moments. And he's brokenhearted and he's crying uncontrollably. He said, well, I'll be crying too because the cross is in his future. That's not why he's crying. He's getting close to that, but that's not why he's crying. Here's why he's crying, verse 42. How I wish today. Look at that. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. He's crying because this massive crowd of people didn't understand how to have peace in their life. They still thought it was whoever the whoever the, the government was, or whoever the social environment was. That that they just that's what they thought. He said, if I overthrew Rome today, it would not change the lack of peace in your heart. Peace in our heart comes from a relationship with Christ who died on the cross for our sins. That we bear them no more. They're forever gone. And nothing is between me and God. And I can know Him. I can sense Him. I can follow Him. He, and the reason He's crying is because they've missed their opportunity. 
Today was a day that would, could have been a turning point for so many people. And he's crying because they missed it. I believe he cries every Sunday now for people who sit in pews and hear messages and walk out the door and never trust Christ. Because he's crying because they've missed the opportunity and now the only thing that awaits them is judgment. He said, and he prophesied, Jerusalem's going to fall, the temple's going to be destroyed. That which you've trusted in because the problem was they were trusting in a place and not a person. Pretty much like people do today. We trust in places more than people. We actually trust in the places of worship more than the person of Christ. I've seen churches do amazing things. I've seen churches split over what color they would paint the auditorium, which is unbelievably foolish. Because God don't care what color you paint the auditorium. I've seen churches fight over if they were going to move the piano to the right side or the left side of the church. We worship a place rather than a person. We'll fight over a place. And not think twice about a person, the person of Christ. You understand? That's why he was crying. They missed it. They missed it. So it brings me to Monday, and this will be very quick. The cleaning out, the clutter, and the confusion. And let me go this quickly. Then Jesus entered the temple. Now let me tell you the, how things worked in tradition. If a king was coming, he would come in through Jerusalem and everybody would do the rope thing and the celebrating and the, and, the, and the proclamations and yay, great is he and all this. They would do that. And then the king would go straightway to the temple. It's an Old Testament how they did it. The king would go straight to the temple and offer a sacrifice. And so the people were watching. He's gone through, but, and he, and he, but he doesn't go to the temple to make a sacrifice. You want to know why? He didn't need to make a sacrifice. He was a sacrifice. In a matter of days, the blood of bulls and goats were no longer effective. They no longer mattered at all. He wasn't going to go and offer sacrifice. In a few days, he was going to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so he didn't go make a sacrifice. And you can you hear because, hey, he did something rather contemporary there. Wow, that's different. Other kings have always done this, man. They've always kind of done something, you know. You do because that's what you do because we've always done. He didn't do that because he wasn't like anyone else. And so, but Monday he went to the temple. And they'll never forget that. Because it says this. He went into the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, the scriptures declare my house temple will be house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. He quoted two verses, one part from Isaiah uh, 56, uh, 7, and the other from Jeremiah 7, 11. And what he went in there was the temple had different courts, and there was a court set up because God had always determined the temple should be able to reach all nations, not just Jews, but the Jews, because of national pride, said it's only about us, and we don't care about Gentiles. We don't like Gentiles anyway. Okay, they don't look like us, talk like us, dress like us. We don't like Gentiles. Sounds a little bit like us today. People are different. We go, man, they're different. I don't know if we want our church. Eh, they don't look like we look. Maybe we don't need them in our church. So what do I make room for? 
And we sure don't make them feel welcome. Now, thankfully, you guys aren't that way. I appreciate y'all. Y'all are awesome. But it's not the way in every church. And so here's what we need to know. They, they, uh, they, they had the court of Gentiles, which was designed for Gentiles to come and worship God. They had taken the court of Gentiles because they didn't value the Gentiles at all, and they make, made it a, a center of commerce. They had tables set up, and basically what happened, so you'll understand, is when the, the, the Jews would come and they would have to pay a temple tax and also buy animal sacrifices for the week of Passover. And so they would have to come. The only money the temple accepted was shekels, okay? And the only place you could spend it was there because you couldn't spend it anywhere else in Rome or Jerusalem or anywhere. That was it, just the temple. And so if you go and if you have, uh, so you have to take your Roman coinage and trade it in. So it, it would work. And when you had to leave, you had to trade back your shekels in for Roman coin. If you did, kind of like me going to, to uh, uh, the Mellon Mushroom and trying to pay my bill with pesos. They'd say, man, no way, Jose, we've got to have American money. Uh, that doesn't work. So here's the thing. They, they said, okay, we, we, we will. So what was happening is they were cheating the people. They were cheating them. They were charging them too much. They were not giving fair weight. They were taking advantage of the situation. And when Jesus shows up and he sees what is happening, people have come to worship and they're being ripped off. And, 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 and then, none of that, there is no room for Gentiles to come and worship. So he gets him a whip, and he begins to pop that thing. You ever heard anybody pop a whip? That's a pretty awesome sound. Pop that whip and begin to turn tables over. And begin to, and if you reached over to get that money, he'd just pop you with a whip. Man, he drove them out of the court of the Gentiles. And the tables are flying everywhere. Money's flying everywhere. If you want to calculate what that means, that was probably a million-dollar day. And he's putting that money everywhere. He's throwing it to the, he's throwing it to the four winds. He, he's tearing, turning stuff over. He's running them out. They can't pick it up. He said, this, my house should be a house of prayer. should be a place where people come to know me, meet me, talk with me, find me. And you've made it a den of thieves. You've made it a cave for thieves to hide in. Pretty strong. Jesus made room for all the nations. All of a sudden he said, we're going to clean this clutter out of here. This confusion. Uh, and you know what he did the rest of his week there till he got carried away? He taught in the court of the Gentiles. He opened up God's word. He began to share to the court of Gentiles which is kind of weird if you were a Jew because you would never want to go to the court of Gentiles because <laughs> they are not, they're kind of like, you didn't like them. But Jesus was a friend of sinners, and he still is. And he began to teach them. He cleaned out the clutter and the confusion. You see, he was a friend of sinners because you can ask that woman who's caught in the act of adultery or Zacchaeus, that tax collector, or that woman who who had a sick daughter and said, if you could just help me. He said, but it's not time. It's not the time of the Gentiles yet. He said, but I believe you can do it. He said, well, I'm your friend. We'll do it. Or Jairus' daughter, or the woman with the issue of blood. All these people, they understood he was a friend of sinners. 
that those lepers that he cleansed and that publican that came and stood before saying, I am such an unworthy person. I don't deserve anything. Have mercy on me. He said, well, I can do that because I'm a friend of sinners. Greatest friend you'll ever have. This morning at 8.30, gave the invitation. And that woman that you met at the 11 o'clock came forward. I want you to listen to me. Because she really wanted me to share this. And that's why I'm doing it. She came forward and said, I've been a fan and never a follower. Now I want to tell you, she's an awesome church member. Awesome church member. Never been a follower. And she said, here's what I've discovered. And she wanted me to tell you this word for word. I'm going to try to get it right. She says, here's what I've discovered. You can't be partially pregnant. Either are or you're not. You can't be partially saved. You can't be 90% saved. You've got to be 100% saved. She said, I've just never been a follower. I've been a great fan, but never a follower. And you got to see her witness that today. What about you? You a follower? Are you a fan? Maybe you're a foe. You just reject him. You just reject him. Don't believe who he says, what he says. You just... You know, the good news is today a foe can become a follower, a fan can become a follower. That's really up to you.